We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy and the King. So it's Thursday, um, and I know everyone this entire week has talked about the Super Bowl and all of the money spent on commercials and all that great stuff, but I can assure you we won't be talking about the Super Bowl here. I know how much you love football, but- I do. Yeah, we're not talking about Super Bowl today. It's okay. We also won't talk about still how angry I am about January 6th. Um, We're not going to talk about that today. We won't talk about the fact that I had on a midriff last week, um, <laughs> even though the, the weather is a whole lot better. It's so much warmer here uh, in Baltimore. But what we will talk about, we'll talk about last week, the Secretary of Agriculture, he jumped in and actually, you know what? Before we do that, did you see the story around uh, the administration uh, allocating the funds for um, Afghanistan? Nope, not in Afghanistan. No. Okay. People using methamphetamines. Oh God! Yes. Did you see that? Yes, and the big hubbub about how supposedly the U.S. government was buying people crack pipes. Like, come on, yeah. guys. You, you know what I was mad about? What I was mad about is them using the word equity in that scenario. Yeah. And and here's what really it frustrated me around messaging because so many people focused on the fact that the administration said they were trying to provide equity, they were trying to make it so that drug usage could be safe in black and brown communities. But they used the word equity and we know what that word equity means. They didn't talk about drug usage in white communities. Well, and then when and you it just, really frustrated me. Yeah. Well, and on top of it, the way that the U.S. government and lawmakers and, and people in power have created drug le- legislation to make drug usage punishments much higher in people of color, right? Crack versus, you know, powder cocaine, all of that historical stuff. And then to come out and say, well, now we're trying to create it's, it's bullshit. It was poorly, poorly messaged and probably poorly, poorly, poorly thought messaged. out. Yeah, because I said to myself, I didn't see anything in there that said, while we may be giving these um, centers, these places funds to help get equipment. So that we'll also make sure we provide beds. We provide educational training. We provide facilities and resources to help pull people off of drugs. I didn't hear or read any of that. And I said, we totally missed the mark. But I will tell you this, there was an administration or there was an organization in the administration that used the word equity the right way. And that was Secretary of Agriculture, Mr. Tom Vilsack. He actually appointed a 15 member equity commission in response to the Biden-Harris administration's pursuit 
of a more comprehensive approach to advancing equity for all in the agricultural ecosystem. That's a whole lot of words to just say farming. You know what I'm saying? Um, They're trying to put this commission together to study the inequities that have persisted in the farming space, and they're now trying to, to change some of that. And I thought that that was a beautiful announcement last week. Yeah. And like the the conversation we had around mining, again, just a place where we don't have a lot of equity and historical injustices types of conversations in our everyday life or in our DEI world. Uh, TikTok um, is getting Oh, some... real quick. Before we do that, I want to yeah. give a shout out, though. Uh, oh. My dear friend, Mr. Todd Corley. He is on that equity panel. So for the next two years, he gets to work side by side with some incredible people. And for those of you out there listening real quick, if you are not familiar with the name Sherry Sherrod, I think it's Sherry Sherrod. I'm almost positive. And if I mess it up, just Google the equity commission from the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture. I want you to look at what happened to her years ago and why it's so incredibly rewarding and important that her voice is also a part of this 15-member committee. Shout out to you, Mr. Todd Corley. Go ahead, Jay. Congratulations. So there's a new Glassdoor. And if you don't know what Glassdoor is, it's an employee review site um, yep. or an employer review site left by employees and former employees. Huge yep. deal in our HRTA world. Um, but this one is called Clara. And it's basically Glassdoor for content creators. So influencers, um, people who get paid for sponsored content, all of those kind of things. So uh, Clara is basically going to give pay transparency for those creators. So if I make a TikTok, if I make an Instagram reel, whatever it is, I can go on and see what TikTok is paying, what YouTube is paying, what any other random sponsor, I guess, is paying for that content. And just like with pay transparency around gender, this is really going to create some opportunities for individuals of color who are not getting paid the same level as white creators to know who they want to work for and how to better negotiate their influencer contracts. Yeah, it was started by a 31-year-old Nina Nino, or uh, I think it's Nino, Nino de Guzman. Uh, she actually was employed by TikTok left the organization, started the company. And I'm sure she probably was like, look, wait a minute. I got all of this insight. I had the the access to the data. I've seen the trends. I've seen what's happening. Uh, I've seen the furor that's happening on social media with Black content creators being wildly upset. And I think I'm going to ask our guest about that later on in the show, how, how, how he feels around content creation valuation and TikTok and social media. So anyway, if you are out there on TikTok, I am not, but if you are on TikTok, uh, you can go to Clara, C-L-A-R-A, Clara, and perhaps be able to get a bit of insight around dollar bills, dollar, dollar bills. Yeah. And and just kind of wrapping up um, transparency and, and stakeholder capitalism, as we've been talking about over the last few weeks. So you know, Edelman Trust Report, and we've talked about how important our CEO is in terms of trust and and who we trust and the information that we trust, and still a lot of commitments, right, about equity, about bridging the pay gap, about cro- closing some of our income disparities in this country. But 
right? What's but, really happening? But out of 116 takeovers of companies worth more than a billion since April of 2020, not one, zero, not one included anything legally binding that would protect jobs or guaranteed compensation for those who would be laid off. So we have 116. None of these takeovers were, well, let me never let me say that because I don't know that to be the case. Whether those takeovers were agreed to or hostile, let me say that, 116 of them, zero, took care of protecting the people who were going to lose jobs. Zero. And in the story, it's over on the Wall Street Journal, on the story, um, and there's a bunch of other stats inside on the left side of the story, but in that story, it also talks about there was a phrase in there that said, you know, the bottom line is these CEOs no longer have a responsibility. You know, once I've gotten rid of the organization, I've shuttered it, private equity firm or whomever has come in and swooped it up, another competitor, we done. We don't care. And so it's really frustrating. But what we have to do is make sure that we continue to hold them accountable. And so it also says in the story, we have to band together and use the strength of our voices, our collective voices. It can't just be one or two people saying, hey, you're not doing the right thing. It has to be sort of a chorus and a movement of individuals to to make sure we hold them accountable. Yeah. And and on that note, I'd like to call out the CEO of Starbucks, who is fighting unions, um, raising prices, blaming it on higher wages, but got himself this week a $20 million uh, comp payout. And same thing that we see with Amazon, who is raising their prices for Prime uh, an additional year, fighting unionization all over the country. And Jeff is going to pay to get a bridge rebuilt in Rotterdam so his yacht can get through. And in a flash, last week, the Senate made headway on a bill that would forbid clauses in employment contracts requiring workers to litigate sexual harassment. So we give them a hand clap. They made me drink until I was blackout drunk, said Nikki Broderick. She tells Fortune in reference to her days at Activision. I don't even know how I got back to my hotel at night. Sharing a story about Activision Workplace again back in 2011. Peloton is getting the digital work, and I'm still trying to figure out why people do TikTok. Panda, panda, panda. I love that one. And apparently, COVID required folks to appreciate their own kitchens, and now some are demanding redesigns while others are looking for a good Bordeaux. Goodell wasn't happy, and Spotify is dropping $100 million behind the voices of the marginalized. No matter how you feel right now, Jay and I will be right back. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. All right. So I'm excited because we are welcoming an amazing guest that we have waited a long time to get on the show and are so happy to be able to introduce you all to. Um, how, so, how, how long did we wait? How long? Tell, tell the folks how long we waited. I mean, it's been at least 
four or five months, I think. Like the man I mean, is it was in, in, in demand. Tell you, yeah, in demand. You know, you got to get, you got to just accept your rotation, that, how that rotation <laughs> comes, you know. And then, of course, we got to be fair. We got to be fair. Holidays crept in. And we, we had to give some respect for the holidays and all of that. But I'm absolutely excited. Why don't you introduce our guests? So Andre Blackman is the founder and CEO of Onboard Health, a specialized executive search and advisory firm focused on creating a more inclusive future of health. He's a pioneering strategist with deep ties across the healthcare innovation startup and digital strategy landscapes. While the pandemic forced many to reckon with, right, what we know, the existence of systemic racism in healthcare, some for the first time, Blackman has dedicated his life to closing representation gaps in medicine. You can follow him on Twitter at MindOfAndre, A-N-D-R-E. Check it out. Um, so my entire career has been uh, around public health, the social terms of health and healthcare. Um, and after spending probably around, you know, 13, 14, 15 years uh, squarely in the innovation space and digital health and things of that nature, the startup space as it relates to the healthcare industry, um, but also seeing this intersection a few years ago around things like the social determinants, public health, meeting traditional medicine and healthcare um, at the innovation space. Um, I really was just um, inspired by all the amazing people that I've met throughout my career who want to build uh, the future of health um, with all sorts of different skill sets, right? So uh, data science or UX, UI, human-centered design, engineering communications. And I felt like there was an opportunity here, especially as we saw the convergence uh, to build a more sustainable um, and equitable uh, future of health to really kind of look at the workforce. Welcome, man. How you feeling? Doing great, everyone. Happy February. Happy Black History Month. Happy 2022. Yeah, yeah. All that kind of good stuff. Uh, Julie, thank you so much for that intro. I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling really good. Good. Well, and we're happy to hear you. Happy to have you here. So, you know, as you said in that clip we just heard, you're, you're not new to this world. Um, you've been at it for a while. You launched a company back in 2007. So let's start there and, and tell us a little bit about that, if that's all right with you. Absolutely. Uh, so I started actually writing the Pulse and Signal blog in 2007. And this is when, you know, back in the back in the day, um, if you had a blog, you were kind of an instant rock star, right? Like you had something to say, you knew how to put together a platform. And, you know, that was how things got started. I mean, that was my background, um, a mix of engineering, communication and public health. Um, still very interested in how technology and innovation was going to move that forward but also 2007 was when you know twitter came out right a lot of the social media um aspect was moving forward and i wanted to see how the intersection of health um and digital kind of was moving together and so the pulse and signal blog really got started um in giving uh, myself a platform to talk about these things uh, but naturally i'm a people person and i love getting into the minds of others who are just doing amazing things and pulse and signal um, the blog became known for um, my interviews with people um, literally around the world who were into things like, you know, behavior change, social marketing. So basically, you know, wearing a, a bicycle helmet, like that's social marketing, right? How do you do, 
healthy behavior change through like media and, and things of that nature too. Um, and that's what really just kind of catapulted me into doing on-site interviews at conferences, right? The Health 2.0 conference was getting started and this whole kind of patient-driven revolution, technology and healthcare, um, I was deep in it. And, uh, but I also was really excited about highlighting the voices and the people who are making big changes in this industry. And that's what really kind of led to Pulse and Signal as a digital strategy agency um, for a lot of these startups and the organizations in healthcare and in public health and in social impact, um, really understanding how to message, how to engage um, and things of that nature too. Um, and that was a, a big part of my those early days for sure. So the early days are always great for setting the foundation. And, and I love the fact that you, you said uh, on-site interviews, like literally in the moment when you were at a conference, you would basically put what, uh, an Android device, uh, an iPhone in front of an individual. How would you conduct some of those interviews? Torin, I mean, for, for those of you my, who, who might remember, and I still have it, the flip video cameras were really hot, right? Back in the day, you had a handheld you know, video recording device. Um, and that's what I did. You know, I went to conferences, had my flip video camera um, and just kind of had questions prepared and uh, kind of, you know, created, you know, video components. Um, some of that was also um, by text, right? So I might've been on site um, and just kind of, you know, jotting down notes from individuals and then turning that into a text-based um, interview. Um, but I, I love being there with people um, because there's no substitute, right, for body language and eye contact um, and really feeling the individual and how they're feeling about um, what they're building and doing. So, yeah, th those are fun times. Appreciate that. And again, that's the foundation. So today at Onboard Health, for you, it's more than, you know, looking at DNI through a product or a service lens. It's really about life and, and people like you and the team. You take this extremely serious. And one of the reasons why I'm extremely excited about you being here is because of that report. And I reference it often, that Citibank report from September of 2020 that talks about racism and what it has cost the United States. And it listed healthcare as one of those cylinders. It was four of them, healthcare being one of the cylinders that we have done a dismal job of paying attention to. When you use the example, though, you use the example of, of, of the work that you do, you know, connecting the dots, data scientists and, you know, looking at food deserts and food insecurity. Why is it that important for you and more than just a product or a service? I love that. I mean, you know, even even taking it back to like why it went down to this, this pathway, right? Like just being in the space for the last 15, 16, 17 years, right? And seeing the changes and the shifts, right? To be completely honest, medicine in this country was really focused on acute care, right? You were sick, you got help, right? Over the past several years, however, though, the social determinants of health really kind of crept in uh, to create this kind of perfect storm, right, of opportunities, right? So the social determinants really how we, how we live, how we work, how we play, how our cities are built, right? Food sustainability, how we get access to healthy food, right? Um, you know, and all that kind of weaves together with chronic disease and things of that nature, and so why this, this is so important is that there's a historical aspect to healthcare and medicine in this country, right? Oftentimes, exclusion was actually at the root of a lot of these things. Who could get access to uh, high-quality care, right? And, you know, looking at things like redlining, right, literally in the United States, right, the historical aspect of literally creating geographic exclusion based off of where people are living in the communities, right? that really kind of changed the game, right? 
you know, literally kind of looking at how hospitals and, and this happens in education and things of that nature, too. And we're seeing that now, but especially like in medicine and healthcare, who has access to these things? How do we get to our appointments? All those kind of things are still at the root of, of where we're at today. Right. And, and I tell a lot of people, especially when I talk about um, innovation and technology, like we can't innovate on top of a hot mess. Right. Like we cannot forget what happened. Right. And a lot of a lot of times when we're talking about especially the pandemic, you know, the Tuskegee experiment pops up a lot. Right. The, the amount of mistrust and distrust, misinformation that happened years ago. Right. Um, for black communities in particular. Right. Um, and so that's a big part of it. Right. Is like looking at the historical aspect. But also now we're seeing all these kind of different aspects of how, you know, where where zip codes, you know, predetermine your, you know, your life expectancy, right? Looking at, you know, if you're living in a certain building, right, how asthma increases in certain buildings because of asbestos or because there's a high percentage of things like, you know, cockroaches and things of that nature too, right? Irritants. These are all aspects of this, this total package and this total view of what health looks like. Um, and that, that's exactly why we're focused on those kind of things because leadership creates the policies, right? They create the products and the services that eventually need to help, uh, the communities that they're supposed to be serving. And if representation is not there, if lived experiences are not there, then naturally the, the services and the products, um, and even the concepts, the ideas are going to fall flat. And so that's why we're really passionate about representation, particularly in leadership, and a lot of these organizations, especially a lot of these companies now that are coming with the resources that are tackling with tech and using mental health and all these kind of things. If the if the leadership team is not representative, then what do you think is going to happen as far as the results for the services and products? So that's why we're really you know, passionate about this. You know, Julie, um, before you hit Andre, uh, when he said the Tuskegee uh, experiment and how that comes up often, I, I think about I think his name's name is James Marion considered to be the father of gynecology and how he was performing. Um, he was just performing different acts on enslaved women, no medicine whatsoever, just like going in and ripping these women apart. It, it's it, the history of how medicine has been performed, been deployed, been accessible, like Andre said, is extremely problematic. And so I'm glad that you're here. Go ahead, Jay. Yeah. Well, and I, I you know, just to, to tackle on that too, is I, I think, and I've said this before, so many of us in the white community are ignorant to those things. And I, and I don't think that it, I'll, I'll speak for myself. It's not a lack of care. It's a lack of knowledge a lot of times. So telling those stories, like when we talked about Bruce's beach and those historical inequities, I had so many people reach out to me and say, I had no idea that this happened. And that's just a really important forum that we have to keep talking about things that we know because the vast majority of us, uh, of white America, white, the white world doesn't know about those, that historical um, savagery, right? Um, and, and many in the black community, Let, let's be very right. fair, many in the black community. I mean, again, I grew up in Davenport, Iowa. I've learned more in the last 15 years, maybe 20 that I learned, you know, in the first 30 years of my life. And so it really is, and, and, and it's not always nefarious and, you know, with animus, you just don't know what you don't know unless it's placed in front of you. So, yeah, so I, I would say it's not just the white community. This education is something that should be happening 
in all communities. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we're fighting that fight every day. Um, you know, Andre, if, if you have listened to the show or, or you know anything about me, I'm, I have mental disability, mental health disabilities, um, chronic multiple that I'll live with for the rest of my life. And I know that I've been fighting, um, the conversation in corporate America, in my personal life that like, Hey, mental health is a real thing. We need mental health parity in our insurance. We need it in the way that physicians are treating people. And the pandemic is is obviously created a place where we're able to have a conversation about mental health that we've never been able to have before. Um, how, how is Onboard Health kind of addressing or starting to talk about mental health? Yeah, absolutely, Julian. And and thank you so much. I mean, I first and foremost, I just want to call out like the even the vulnerability aspect of you letting people know about these things, right? I mean, that in itself, I think, creates the narrative, right? Like it's okay to talk about these things. And now it's time for us to like, what's next, right? Solutions. So to your point, um, this is a big part of our landscape right now, especially in the healthcare innovation landscape. Mental and behavioral healthcare is is skyrocketing, right? Uh, looking at things like digital therapeutics, right? We're working with clients now are focused on these kind of aspects, um, you know, in the marketplace, but also supplying these kind of solutions for employers. So internally, right, as we're having conversations with employers about creating equitable and inclusive workspaces, right, this is something that's coming up time and time again, right? When we're thinking about things like, are we going back to work? You know, people do people want to actually go back into the workplace, right? Or even, you know, working remotely, right? You know, one of the things that pops up is, you know, backgrounds like you know you're in people's homes now right and even that was coming up as far as the biases and the microaggressions like oh what's that kind of is that a shrine is that you know those kind of different things that that came up like in the actual workplace these are the things that we help our our clients with and our partners with around like okay talent is one thing right you know like we need more quote-unquote diverse talent well first and foremost right like as we all have heard like you know uh, a lot of this starts at home first, right? Like, let's actually look at our brand. Like, how are we showing up for people? Like, what's actually happening internally that we have people are like, you know, scrambling, especially after the George Floyd murder. Okay, we need our boards to look like this. We need to do that. But like, hold up. We didn't even actually like look at ourselves to figure out what's going on. So the two pathways in which we've been really interacting on board health and these conversations is like, okay, what actually has been done to create safe environments now for your employees, for your team, for your leadership, right? Because we're not sending people into into places that haven't even thought about this, right? Um, so that's one piece. But then also for the work in our space, right? Mental health is is really hot right now. And it for a good reason, as we talked about. So a lot of our partners in our ecosystem, a lot of the founders as well, like even in the startup space, this is becoming a big thing, right? There's actual um, startups now where lived experiences, right? Like we talked about, you know, cultural competency and how there's a new wave of, of you know, black and brown founders under rest, underestimated as Arlen Hamilton from Backstage Capital um, calls it. People are saying, you know what? I don't see things that help me, right? As a black woman. So I need to either find that if I don't find the trust already, or I'm going to create it. And that's exactly what we're seeing in the maternal health space. You have Melissa Hanna over at Mommy. You have Poppy Seed Health, right? These are like, you know, really kind of focusing on community focused solutions to things like mental health, right? Eric over at Ayana Therapy, same kind of thing. Ashley Wisdom at Health and Her Hue, 
creating a, a platform for Black women to get access to understand, you know, culturally competent care. So that's what we're seeing, um, you know, in the space. That's how we're supporting. Uh, we're building those teams that have that kind of vision in place to create a more equitable future of health. Um, and that's what we're really excited about as well. Um, I remember working on um, a campaign that targeted 18 to 24 year old African-Americans, um, you know, making sure that you're talking to your partner about your sexual status, right? So really looking at, you know, HIV, AIDS, STD prevention, that sort of thing. And, you know, oftentimes these campaigns would have, I think, the experts like huddled in a room together, kind of thinking through all the demographic and the, the data and all the reports that have been made. Um, and then they kind of create the campaign and then kind of like issue it out to the people without actually co-creating it. So I'm actually going to take, um, I'm going to take, I'm going to take that, that comment around it being important, uh, the safe space, the cultural competency, um, assessing the brand, doing that internal diagnostic. I'm going to take that. But as you heard in this clip, oftentimes voices of black and brown people, marginalized communities, they continue to be suppressed. They continue to be ignored. They continue to be minimized, put to the side. They sometimes are even hijacked. Like the idea can come from them. It's shuttered and then it resurfaces through the voice of a white colleague, a male colleague uh, in some instances, an able-bodied colleague in some instances. How do we get over this? Or is there a way to get over this? How, how, do, we con how do we help ourselves to not have to keep fighting that fight of being seen? Yeah, that's a great question, Torin. I mean, you know, at the root of it is, you know, that that whole like, you know, um, colonization piece, right? I mean, like, oh, this is great. So we're going to co-op this and turn this into something that we're comfortable with. Usually that happens in white leadership and, and culture because there's, you know, there's that aspect about being comfortable. We don't want to be thrown off a little bit, right? And especially at the beginnings of like me writing on Pulse and Signal and things of that nature too, I wrote something called the Sustain or Die Manifesto, right? This is back in, I think, like 2012, talking about the absolute critical need to have co-created solutions, right? We're not, you know, the top-down approach has not been working anymore, especially in health, right? And so, you know, that's a big part of like what we're seeing right now, especially with companies like CityBlock Health, right? That's actually layering in technology and digital solutions and innovation into a community kind of focused uh, solution around access to healthcare and things of that nature too really working with community leaders um, to create those solutions that we need. And so this is a big kind of part of like why my vision for Onboard Health is around leadership, because if we have the people in leadership that are creating these decisions that know like we need to look at something from a different angle, that's how we kind of continue lifting up these voices, right? That's how we make those decisions in partnership with community, with the people that are coming up with these ideas um, so like from a corporate culture perspective and companies, this is why we're creating this to say like, okay, there's talent, it's never a pipeline issue, but also there's a ripple effect when we have the right people in place, right? And so that's, I think, is a key part of it. The other part that I'm really excited about is the entrepreneurship angle 
to where we are like in digital health right now and things of that nature. Like I said, there's a lot of first time founders that are more you know, representative of our, of our society and our communities that are standing up and saying like, hey, I need to build this, right? Andrew, Andrew from Live Chair Health, right? You know, start out as kind of a barbershop focused health, you know, engagement piece to really kind of elevate literacy and things of that nature. And now, you know, he's just doing amazing things with uh, the company, right? And so now there's that ownership piece um, to our industry right now, right? You know, b- before, you know, you'd have like these, these big magnate, magnates in, in, in healthcare, but now we're starting to see companies that are saying, you know what, like, we're actually going to take this because this is what we know, right? And then there's a more equitable process to say like, okay, um, you know, this large companies has seen the value of this startup and what they're doing, but we're not just kind of taking the IP, like there's actually an exchange of resources, right? Like, and then, you know, that's how we create the sustainable, equitable system. So that's how we um, are, are, are personally kind of seeing how we're elevating um, representation that's recognized because, you know, we're in, we're in a capitalistic, you know, society. So if we're talking about exchanges of resources, building businesses and things that nature that actually address these issues, that's how we're going to see a lot of these shifts happen. Oh, I, I love that you've given us six, seven, eight names that I'm going to go back and research and go, okay, these are founders that we need to talk to, that we need to support businesses that I want to learn more about. So thank you for that. Um, so let's, let's kind of a silly question. Let's kind of lighten it up a little bit. Um, and talk about the emerging cannabis space. I I think this is also, at least in my house, a hot topic. I think everywhere a hot topic. Um, and you know, from a healthcare perspective or just your perspective, you know, what's really surprised you, um, regarding this space over the last few years? (laughs) <laughs> yes. Oh, Why, are you smiling, man? Why are you smiling, man? Why are you smiling? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. so many thoughts. So many thoughts. Okay. I, I, I mean, the, the first thing that pops up into my head is the social justice aspect of it all, right? I mean, there's so many examples of just like off the wire, like startup ideas that have come up that are based off of, you know, you know, the backs of immigrants and like cultural aspects of our country, right? I remember there was a startup that was like trying to get some sort of amount of money, millions of dollars to create a new kind of uh, bodega style kind of like, you know, vending machine kind of stuff, like co-opting, like even the term bodega without like, once again, representation, not on that team whatsoever. Right. And so thinking about like the cannabis space, this has been something that um, for, for a long time, right. I'm an eighties baby. So, you know, looking at like the, the drug, like the war on drugs and things of that nature too, but really kind of criminalizing a lot of different things like over the past you know few decades right a lot of people have felony records and things of that nature that have completely derailed their entire lives and now you have like the 20 something hoodie wearing you know entrepreneur that is you know like selling you know CB, CBD popsicles and it's like hey we need to have this 50 million dollar like investment on it and now it's it's cool right but if you look once again at the demographics of the people that have been leading um, you know, that industry, right? And that, that resurgence, right? They don't reflect the people that have got re- in, incarcerated um, and are still paying for it, right? Like, this is what I get really, like, passionate about, right? A lot of people don't understand that one, like, aspect of somebody's life can derail the entire thing. And it's so hard to get back on, on track, right? Because we're taught certain ways in which our lives need to go in order to be successful, 
right? That whole, but, but then there's a dichotomy in the American culture around pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Oh, I'm sorry. We actually completely eradicated ownership um, of entire generations of people in your community. But hey, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. This is America. You can get it done, right? So I'm going off on, on a kind of a, I'm sorry, Julie, this is not light no, at all. Perfect. So. <laughs> it's perfect. Keep going. But yeah, but like, this is what I'm talking about here, right? A lot of people are like, I don't understand. Like, why is it so much? Why is it so hard, right? You're complaining or yada, 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 right? But, you know, not too long ago, like grandfathers, right, you know, couldn't actually save money, right? You would try to go to the bank. It's like, no, I'm sorry, we don't service you. You know, meanwhile, like somebody, you know, on the other side of Chicago, there's a trust fund even before they're born, you know, that they can go into like economic, like, you know, um, uh, confidence, you know what I'm saying? And so these are all the different things about why I'm frustrated, tying it back to like capitalism, right? We're making money now off something that was so demonized, but not even just demonized, but it was, it was tied to certain communities in such a derogatory way that literally they're getting incarcerated for, for years, right? You know, and so, you know, we, we're, we're, we're seeing all these kind of things, right? The Central Park Five and, you know, the narratives are still there. It's still there. And so I did my, my you know, senior thesis paper in college on uh, menthol cigarettes um, in the African-American community. A lot of people don't realize, you know, with the Great Migration, you know, that you had, you know, a lot of like individuals like brands like Cool actually start. And, and we saw this not, once again, not too long ago, menthol cigarettes being marketed to women as a way to lose weight, to stay thin, but also for communities of color, right? And guess what? To this day, the Cool brand is synonymous with the Black community. It's not, it's not by accident. Um, so that, that's just kind of like some, some tangents as far as the cannabis industry. Um, and like, you know, this is a part of public health. It, it impacts people's lives and generations um, have to work to get back on track. So. And my good, um, uh, I call them the three Kings, but uh, my dear friends down in Miami, um, they run a company called Protis Global. It's an executive search firm, and they actually have a podcast called Plant Profits. Mm-hmm. So for those of you out there that are, you know, trying to learn about the space, they interview individuals coming from that cannabis industry, and they cover a variety of different topics. And I love listening to, you know, what they are are sharing. And um, you're you're absolutely right, man. They, it, it it it's something that we should absolutely be keeping our eye on. Uh, I'm going to end the show uh, with a quote that I saw of yours, Andre. Uh, The quote goes, while tackling fires, writing emails and providing customer or client results are sometimes necessary, having time for yourself to process and look ahead is essential. You stress Mm -hmm. being relentless with your calendar around creating buffer space for thinking. I want to thank you for joining us today. Where can people find you real quick? Absolutely. Onboardhealth.co is our um, is our website. Find me on Twitter um, as Mind of Andre, um, and you know those are the spaces where uh, we're showing up. And uh, Onboard Health also on Twitter as Onboard Health. O N B O A R D Health. Thanks for joining us, good brother. Thank you so much, y'all. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, 
thought leaders and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. Awesome. And our Her Voice segment this week, uh, where we amplify women making moves, is sponsored by Tal Vista, seeing beyond the obvious. First and foremost, Rushika Tulsian, dropping inclusion on purpose, an intersectional approach to creating a culture of belonging at work. It hits bookstores on March 1st. You can hit her up on Twitter at rtulsian, R-T-U-L-S-H-Y-A-N. Knock this out. (laughs) I'm going to apologize in advance to Sage Kialoani Kuamano, a 27-year-old native Hawaiian woman uh, from the island of Oahu and co-founder of Future for Us, a company dedicated to accelerating the advancement of women of color at work. She is a fierce pay equity advocate, diversity, equity, and inclusion champion, and an adventure capitalist. She is going to moderate a panel at South by Southwest on March 14th. And the good part about it is that we have transcription services. So even though we may not say the person's name correctly, we will make sure that it is presented correctly down in our show notes. Shout out to having transcription services. I also shout out to Carrie Champion and Jamel Hill who are joining CNN Plus, a streaming service that will co-host or well, where they will co-host a weekly program that will cover sports, culture, entertainment, and politics. Any name drops? Uh, so just to the uh, Pardox and Olivia team for welcoming, uh, welcoming us to Scottsdale this week um, and making our first Chad Cheese and Crazy work trip of 22 uh, really one to be. Got it. And I close reminding each and every one of you to share the pod with your digital tribe. Do everything that you can to find your voice, like build, build better cultures, build better teams, build better workplaces, build better workplaces, build better workplaces for now, Jay and I. See ya. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you, and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.